Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, I wouldn't have to circle back so much if you just gave me the questions in advance. It's high noon for Tuesday. February 2nd, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. Or join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. You can follow me and find me on Gab at I'm your moderator. And let me know if you want a t-shirt. I'll get you a t-shirt. You got to get me the money first. But then, t-shirt. So, today is the 13th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the worst families in America, the father of one of the most despicable men in existence, and he's sold out the interest of the citizens of Delaware and the United States for profit to corporations and to our foreign adversaries. So hallelujah! We have a president, sort of. Joe Biden yesterday had a fake meeting 
with the similarly deplorable Kamala Harris and a few Romneys. One of them is Mitt Romney, the king of all Romneys. And another Romney is Susan Collins. And I think another Romney named Lisa Murkowski was there too. And there were a few other Romneys, but no one's ever heard their name because they've basically spent their entire careers just being Romneys. They get elected, and then they do mostly nothing except take the money and run, take the money and run, take the money. That's Radiohead. So they were there to talk about COVID relief, apparently, which is really just at this point, we can all see a smokescreen for the fact that they are just going to push the country much further and much deeper into debt and then launder money through our foreign adversaries with programs like gender education for Pakistan, something that literally tens of Americans care about. And there's not much point in having these meetings other than to have pictures taken of these meetings to show just how very unity Biden is. Look at me unifying everybody. Come on in, Romneys. It must have been a a real tough negotiation after all. What with the Democrats, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on one side, and then this group of Romneys on the other side, they have such different interests. Spend money, send money overseas, launder money, and do whatever China says. I wonder what they came up with. Oh, yeah, it was whatever China wanted. Joe Biden actually pretended to campaign for, man, I want to say Joel Osteen, (laughs) John Ossoff and Raviel Warnock in Georgia by promising that he was going to get those $2,000 checks done. Like that was his big idea for his COVID plan. Oh, we're going to get you that $2,000, Georgia. Don't you worry. Just come on in, cast your vote. Doesn't really matter who you vote for, but, you know, vote for Democrats. Otherwise, we'll just change your votes to Democrats because it makes a lot of sense to say that you're voting because you might get $2,000 as promised by Donald Trump, rather than the $600 agreed to by Democrats and Romneys. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. It was Donald Trump that came up with $2,000. Joe Biden just pretended that was his idea. And of course it wasn't. Joe Biden hasn't had an idea in decades. His ideas are literally what the people paying him say they are. But hey, now he's running with it. And all his little communist fans on Twitter who were so very mad 
about Donald Trump are now very mad at Joe Biden because he's not giving them money. Hey, commies, wake up. Joe Biden doesn't give two shits about you. Joe Biden cares about China and he cares about his family not going to prison forever as they should. And none of the people around him care about you either. And the Romneys certainly don't care about you. So you basically had one big group of people pretending to have a meeting to help you, the people they don't give a shit about. And that is how you unify a country. And speaking of unifying the country, boom, segue, who knows? I'll let you be the judge. AOC released a video, which was very, very emotional and very, very Instagram, where she was explaining the horror that she felt. Lo, that dark day in the winter, the Ides of January 6th, when the, the horde, the legion of domestic terrorists in red hats walked around the offices in the Capitol building. And one of them was shot by a police officer. That very, very violent insurrection. AOC described it as a near-death experience, which is, A, not what happened, and B, not what a near-death experience is. She described hiding behind a door as the evil murderers were bearing down on her position. They were probably grunting things like, Oh, AOC, kill kill as they swarmed the hallways climbing up the walls with their claws their green eyes protruding from the darkness she could see them everywhere oh my god there's one in the air conditioning vent call HVAC and Ghostbusters right now call 911 I'm near death And they probably have COVID. But that wasn't enough. Not enough drama for AOC. She also had to declare to the world that she is a sexual assault survivor. And now, whether she is or is not, is not something that I can possibly know. But sure, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. It's odd to bring that up publicly for the first time while trying to support the case that you were nearly murdered by people who did not come anywhere close to murdering you Nor did they even consider murdering you. Nor was that even the goal of probably anyone in the country. 
That is absolutely not the same as making fun of how stupid Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is. Making fun of how stupid a public figure is, is light years away from even considering murdering them. Much less going to the Capitol as part of Antifa, of course, because those are the only people really being violent that day. And then being walked in by the Capitol Police and then wandering about the halls and taking selfies in the House chamber or standing in the hall surrounded by nine or ten photographers, all of them just setting up the photo so that they can perfectly capture the true horror of that day. And now we know it's uncouth to challenge AOC on this because she pulled out the sexual assault survivor card, which means everyone has to shut up and not say anything. But I tend to gravitate toward the uncouth. So I'm going to go ahead and call bullshit on her little display. Now, what gives me the right to do that? How could you be so uncouth? Well, the First Amendment gives me the right to do that. But my ability to do that only comes from having eyes and ears and a brain. Because you can watch her little video and see how very insincere she is. You can really watch any video she's ever made and understand this. You can't be both horrified by a life-threatening event and also need outside events to enhance the drama, which is exactly what she's doing. If that event was as scary as she is pretending it was, where is any evidence, any sign anywhere that what she's claiming happened actually happened. In fact, for someone so social media savvy, how did she not have her phone on? Why wasn't she live streaming this attempted murder? Wouldn't she want evidence? Wouldn't she want to protect her fellow congressmen and women whose lives were all very, very threatened as well, even though there's absolutely no evidence that any person in Congress was in danger at any point. In fact, the only person in danger was the woman named Ashley Babbitt, who was shot, apparently, by one of the Capitol Police, whose name has still not been released to the public. Nor have the names, apparently, I still haven't seen them, of the other two or three or four people, whichever congressman is speaking, there's not a, a real number. There's just a range. The other people who died that day, besides Ashley Babbitt and uh, Officer Sicknick, who is said to have died from a heart condition. 
And he is going to apparently be lying in state as they go through the impeachment 2.0 sham. And that's to honor him, of course, and to make sure that everybody remembers how very serious that day was and how very scary that insurrection was. It's interesting that either four or five or six people died, but we only ever hear about two of them. And they're exploiting the death of one of them for their benefit. And they're covering up the person who shot the other woman. It's just a strange response, wouldn't you say? It's also strange that they're doing this when Officer Signick's family initially had asked for privacy and to not have his death be made political. So very respectful of the communist to do this. I know, I know, it's it's very uncouth to doubt their good intentions. It's strange that they're not honoring the other two Capitol police officers who have died by quote unquote real suicide since the event. They don't matter. Aren't we supposed to believe that they killed themselves over the horror of what their country has become? That they were just so dismayed by the very violent insurrection? How are we even pretending that any of this is serious. And of course, the Democrats and the Romneys are going to try to hammer this point in the impeachment trial that begins next week, supposedly. And hopefully they have evidence and hopefully we get to actually see evidence of the whole event instead of the little clips that they like to show on the news and their little videos. And hopefully they'll bring out evidence on the Black Lives Matter Antifa domestic terrorists led by John Sullivan and his 226 communist degenerate friends. I hope we get to see that evidence too. Because that kind of changes the narrative. And, you know, I don't know why AOC would be scared of BLM Antifa people killing her. I mean, that's who was there. And they're all on the same team. She even organizes with them as part of the Sunrise Movement, which definitely isn't funded by George Soros or China or anything. Sunrise Movement is very, very on the up and up. Just activists doing their activist thing. But I sincerely do hope that we get to see all of the evidence from that day. And go through the John Sullivan Black Lives Matter Antifa part of that event. To clear Trump of the impeachment, it would be enough to simply show his speech where he clearly does not incite violence. And then just the simple timing of events where it becomes totally obvious that no one from his speech could have actually participated in that violence. And they can talk about how it was planned out in advance 
as confirmed by everyone. And maybe they can talk about how the pipe bombs that were planted at the RNC and DNC actually were planted there a day before. So Donald Trump didn't incite that either. And of course, there's actually no case to be made that Donald Trump incited a violent riot at the Capitol. So the New York Times yesterday invented a new one that it's a a culmination that this event, this horrifying, very scary event was a culmination of 77 days of contesting the election. Oh, no. How dare he? How dare he contest an election that was so obviously fraudulent and stolen? What a bastard. Put him in the slammer. And what the Times is doing, pretty obviously, is presetting a narrative for next week. They are giving a, a sheen of faux intellectual heft to their argument. They're basically laying the groundwork so that anybody that reads that article will watch the impeachment hearing. And when Democrats spew all the bullshit contained in that article, people will be like, oh, that's right. I know because the smart people told me. But this new presetting of a narrative is just covering up the fact that the old narrative proved completely false. There's no way that the people who watched Donald Trump's speech made it down to the Capitol in time to do the things that they show over and over again on CNN and MSNBC and will surely show at the impeachment hearings, trial, whatever you want to call it, next week. That narrative blew up completely. It was physically impossible for what they initially reported to be true. And the presence of so many photographers, the presence of Jade Sacker in there with John Sullivan destroys that original narrative. So they have to piece together a new one. And that's exactly what they did. Again, blaming it entirely on Trump supporters. And when they name these awful individuals, of course, the descriptions of what they actually did are enhanced and then applied to the entirety of the crowd. Because, of course, they were all there for the same thing, which is to stage a violent insurrection that ended after about 30 minutes and did not actually attempt to take over the government in any way and did not, in fact, try to set up a new government at all. People were there to protest the theft of an American election, the usurpation of the American presidency by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, Joe Biden. And so the Trump team laid out their response to the impeachment claims today. And the response is mostly focused on the total unconstitutionality of what they're doing. It's utter illegitimacy, which is obvious. What they're doing makes no sense whatsoever. They're trying to remove a president whose term has ended, at least as far as Washington, D.C. goes. 
and they want to make sure that he can never run again for some reason. And it's definitely not because they think that they would lose and that they would have to cheat so massively again. It's definitely not for that. Could never be for that. They're really just pursuing justice, as always. Because one thing that we know the commies care about is justice and the principles of justice being evenly applied no matter who you are, even if you're a duly elected, legitimately elected former president of Washington, D.C., like Donald Trump. Now, they get into a little trouble with the whole justice and principles thing because they actually do have a criminal that they're pretending is president right now. And they have criminals all throughout the body that is now trying the legitimately elected former president of Washington, D.C. But that is not a problem because they are the good guys, as defined by them, of course. And it doesn't matter that one of their impeachment managers is clearly compromised by Chinese intelligence and was actually sleeping with a Chinese spy, even though he's still on the intelligence committee. That's Eric Swalwell, of course, one of the absolute dumbest people I've ever seen. I mean, he's like AOC level dumb, but he's also got that debilitated animal weakness that is just so charming. And that doesn't matter. John Roberts, who has his own problems, will not be presiding over the Senate trial because, of course, it is not a real impeachment trial for a sitting president of Washington, D.C. But we can just pretend it's real. This is a show. It is a farce. It is a national disgrace what they're doing. And Trump's team better damn well bring the heat and bring the evidence and show exactly how legitimate that protest was and how illegitimate their claims are. And if he fails to do that, that will be a disaster. I don't know how many more opportunities we'll be given for the country to actually see the evidence and hear the truth about any of what has happened in the last few months, not to mention the last five years. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, talking about the two paths, that the, the Steve Bannon, Raheem Kassam war room path was directed toward this impeachment trial so that Trump could bring out all the evidence there. And that's a fine plan if it happens. If it doesn't happen, all this focus on the impeachment trial and laying the groundwork for that will all be for nothing. And that would be a travesty. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Because we know right now that the adherence to the central narrative is dropping rapidly. CNN's ratings are down 44%. MSNBC's are down 20%. Fox 
was already getting crushed because conservatives and people in the MAGA movement don't trust Fox at all anymore and shouldn't, of course. Fox is, again, just telling the other side of the central narrative. They're not diverging from the central narrative. They're saying the same things to a different set of people. But they are leading those people by the nose down the same central narrative path. Doesn't matter if it's MSNBC or Fox or Bill Maher or CNN. They're all central narrative. And I used to have a ton of respect for Bill Maher. And I I mean, I still respect the guy, but there are few people that I see with a public platform like that that are actually so confused and seemingly clueless about what they're doing. I mean, there are the hosts on CNN and MSNBC and Fox who are doing a very particular job in service of very particular political goals. Bill Maher seems not to have those in many ways. Bill Maher's whole brand was that he was going to give you the raw, honest truth. But it doesn't seem like he has any bearing on what the, the truth is anymore. That compass for him is totally broken. It's all central narrative. He will occasionally try to step outside it, but never really get very far. Like he had uh, Robert F. Kennedy on his show a few years ago to talk about vaccines. And that was the furthest I've seen him go. He had Milo on when Milo was a hot topic and he got crucified for that. And I'm also not saying that Bill Maher has never been brave. What I'm saying right now is that he is drinking from the wrong information stream and there is no bravery within that information stream. The boldest conclusions you can come to on that information really only go out as far as Fox or MSNBC does. And some people like to take their own little grab bag from one and from the other, and then those are their opinions. And it seems like they become actual thoughtful people by embracing both sides. But that's not what thoughtfulness is. That's just putting yourself right down the middle. There's no extra credit intellectually for doing that. You're just repeating different parts of the story than other people repeat. Changing subjects without a segue. Here we go. This piece is from the Daily Beast yesterday in the evening. It is by a woke social justice Twitter personality named Maxwell Tanny. And the headline is White House Reporters. Biden team wanted our questions in advance. (laughs) It's like difficult to even talk about this stuff with a straight face. We are talking about the party that imagines itself as the keepers of knowledge and intellect and truth and facts. But what they really are is the party of misinformation. 
And that problem is actually compounded by the fact that Jen Psaki is the press secretary and she is 0% competent. So here's the article. If you're a reporter with a tough question for the White House press secretary, Joe Biden's staff wouldn't mind knowing about it in advance. According to three sources with knowledge of the matter, as well as written communications reviewed by the Daily Beast, the new president's communication staff have already on occasion probed reporters to see what questions they plan on asking. New White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki when called upon during briefings. The request prompted concerns among the White House Press Corps whose members, like many reporters, are sensitive to the perception that they are coordinating with political communications staffers. Wow. I cannot believe that they even have the balls to write that sentence. They're sensitive to the perception that they are coordinating with political communications staffers. Uh, No, that's what they do all day. They're sensitive about looking like that's what they're doing in the same way that a magician is sensitive to everyone in the audience knowing how they do their tricks. It's a little different. Like, yeah, we're lying to you and this is all a big charade, but you're not allowed to know that because then that ruins the whole thing for us. Back to the article. One reporter raised the issue during an informal White House Correspondents Association Zoom call last Friday. According to multiple sources, leaders at the meeting advised print reporters to push back against requests by the White House press team to learn of questions in advance or simply to not respond to the Biden team's inquiries. While it's a relief to see briefings return, particularly with a commitment to factual information, the press can't really do its job in the briefing room if the White House is picking and choosing the questions they want, one White House correspondent said. It's not really a free press at all. Okay, so a report about reporters still requires an anonymously sourced reporter. Why? Because they believe that the Biden press team would restrict their access if they knew which of the reporters was the one who said, oh, hey, yeah, they asked me for questions in advance. And this is, you just got to say, not at all like the dictatorship of Donald Trump who let just the most miscreant losers in the White House press corps come in day after day after day after day and ask them anything at all and let them go ahead and insert their own narratives into the bad questions they were asking and then would even yell over the hot mic even after the press secretary had walked out of the room. That dictatorship you'll remember, was very dangerous to the press. In fact, even calling what they do fake news, which is an accurate assessment of what they do, we are talking about the people who 
led the Russian collusion hoax for years. Talked about Mueller and how Trump was going to be impeached for years. Covered up the Biden crime family. Allowed the impeachment of a president over something the Biden crime family did. Lied about COVID, lied about Black Lives Matter, lied about the campaign, lied about election fraud. Yeah, those people. You know, the ones that were just trying to keep the dictator in check. Not a very competent, qualified, legitimate president like Joe Biden, who is not at all dictatorial, despite the fact that he has signed 40 executive orders in the last two weeks, while Congress has just taken weeks off. Because we know what's really important. What's really important is this Senate impeachment trial trying to convince the public that somehow Trump supporters are terrorists. Sophia Bush. But actually legislating. That's not for us. Even though Joe Biden said a few months ago that that would be a sign of a dictator. Now that he's doing it, we can clearly see that it's not at all the sign of a dictator, even though he was put into office as the result of a fraudulent election and supported by corrupt courts, corrupt politicians, and a wholly corrupt media and social media environment. But that's not at all like a dictator. Important to remember that no matter what, that's not like a dictator. Let's go back to the article. It pissed off enough reporters for people to flag it for the White House Correspondents Association for them to deal with it. I mean, that is just such a terribly written sentence. I actually read that correctly. I'll do it again. It pissed off enough reporters for people to flag it for the White House Correspondents Association for them to deal with it. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Another knowledgeable source said, oh, okay, so we don't even know if this is someone in the Correspondents Association, but we do know that this anonymous source is knowledgeable according to the Daily Beast. And that's enough. But isn't it also amazing that they include this sentence, thinking that this adds like some color or context instead of exposes exactly what these people are doing? It pissed off enough reporters for people to flag it. So it wasn't the first time or the second time. It wasn't one reporter here like none of that. This is a Biden press team policy. This is standard operating procedure. And finally, enough reporters who are all very responsible and very integrity. Enough of them are finally mad and they're going to have to say it. They're really going to go against the grain in the central narrative and say that something that Biden's team did might actually not be that good. Now, is it an attack on the free press? I mean, not like Donald Trump calling them fake news. It's not that kind of attack. This is the kind of attack where a definitely not dictatorial administration tells reporters that they will have their access restricted or their questions go unanswered unless they prepare those questions in advance 
so that Jen Psaki can have adequate answers and not have to circle back and hope the issue just goes away. It's odd that such an important, intelligent, legitimate administration would be concerned about not being able to answer questions on the fly. I mean, they're doing everything right and totally above board, and they're very, very honest, obviously. So why can't they just answer the questions? They're actually not getting hard questions. The idea that any of the questions they've received so far are hard questions is absurd. Back to the article. The WHCA Zoom call was off the record, and Daily Beast staffers participated in the talk. Those staffers had no input into this story whatsoever. Yeah, it's definitely not the Daily Beast who's responsible for going against the Biden team. They just want to make sure that everyone knows, hey, it's not us. We're just, we're just reporting because we're very responsible. The reporter who wrote this story was not bound by the terms of the call's agreement. <laughs> All of the information in this article was independently gathered and without his colleague's knowledge. <laughs> hide! Run and hide! The definitely not dictator president knows what we did! Since Biden took office two weeks ago, the White House press team has visibly attempted to draw contrasts with the Trump press team, which had a notoriously antagonistic relationship with reporters and eventually scrapped their traditional daily briefing altogether. Well, no, that's not exactly how that happened. In fact, that's not at all how that happened. But who cares? Psaki has pleased many members of the press pool, by ensuring that the reporters in attendance aren't doing so in vain. What the fuck does that mean? Doing what in vain? Attending? What in the world does this even mean? In each of the early press conferences, she's fielded questions from every reporter in the room. Oh, yeah, so they are talking about attending in vain, even though that sentence was absolutely horribly written. It's like it was written by a college kid, which is essentially the brainpower of the mainstream media. So yes, she answers everyone's questions. And that is such a difficult task that from now on, she's going to need the questions in advance. If I'm going to keep answering everyone's questions, I better have them in advance. That's not really answering questions, is it? That is writing up politically advantageous responses and then pantomime in the press room. Like, I'm going to say this, then you say this, then I'll say this, then you say this. Got it? Okay, run the play. Ready, break. During her first presser, Saki promised to restore regular briefings including those with top administration health officials, adding that she had a deep respect for the role of a free and independent press and that they shared, quote, a common goal, which is sharing accurate information with the American people. So long as they know the questions in advance. And so she can get the, the very, very most accurate information. Nothing less than total, absolute accuracy. That's why we need the questions in advance. So that we can make these lies sound 
as accurate as possible and totally definitely related to your question, which Jen Psaki definitely will not dodge or circle back on. Biden's press team did not deny that staffers had solicited questions from reporters, but the White House contended that it has tried to foster a better relationship with the press corps than the previous administration and has tried to reach out to reporters directly in order to avoid appearing to dodge questions during briefings. Oh, much better. Oh, that's much better. They don't want to look like they're dodging questions, so they get the questions in advance so that they can set the answer up in a way that doesn't seem like they're dodging questions. It's good that they recognized that this was already a problem for them less than 13 full days in. Well, that's amazing. It wants to foster a better relationship with the press corps. Well, I'm wondering how much better a relationship you could possibly have with a press corps than the Joe Biden team already does. We're talking about a press corps who, while Joe Biden's son is the subject of federal criminal investigations for things that Joe Biden was himself involved in, the press corps that asked him, What kind of ice cream he was purchasing? What? How much nicer do you want them to be? This is honestly what happens in third world dictatorships. This is banana republic shit. This is state media shit. They are actually mad right now that the state media is not doing enough to support the state. That is a threat to freedom of the press. Not calling completely fake news, fake news. How many real news articles did we get on the Steele dossier? Hundreds, thousands? That dossier was total bullshit. Every article treating that dossier as truth was in fact fake news. But calling it fake news is a threat to the free press. Got it. Our goal is to make the daily briefing as useful and informative as possible for both reporters and the public, a White House spokesperson said. Part of meeting that objective means regularly engaging with the reporters who will be in the briefing room to understand how the White House can be most helpful in getting them the information they need. That two-way conversation is an important part of keeping the American people updated about how government is serving them. Oh, my God. Every paragraph that Maxwell Tanney writes is more preposterous than the last. Unbelievable. This practice isn't totally unheard of in previous administrations, departments, or federal agencies. For instance, former President Donald Trump's White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, was known to have asked certain news outlets about their questions in advance of some major or high-profile Trump press conferences or events, according to two people with direct knowledge of the matter. Okay, so in four years... 
of the most ubiquitously available president to the press, maybe ever. Two people with direct knowledge say that something similar may have occurred years ago. This is just total desperation. This is the most hackish bullshit I've ever seen. They are trying to say that what Biden's doing is okay. What Biden is actually doing is okay. Because according to two people, two anonymous sources, Trump's team did something similar years ago. Unreal. Communication staffers during the Bush and Obama years would ask reporters for the gist of questions in advance if they wanted to interview cabinet secretaries. Now, that sounds entirely different, first of all, because interviewing cabinet secretaries is different than asking questions at a press conference. And it's substantively different. Because cabinet secretaries deal with a range of issues. And if they're going to be interviewed and the White House is going to allow them to be interviewed, the subject of the interview is kind of pertinent. So I actually don't care at all that Bush and Obama did that. Under previous administrations, many White House reporters would meet informally in the morning for gaggles with the press secretaries. During these interactions, White House communications staff could get a sense of the topics reporters were interested in that day and would come prepared for questions during televised briefings later in the afternoon. Okay. Eric Schultz, a former deputy press secretary in the Obama White House, said that the new comms team was restoring normalcy to the briefing process. Finding out what reporters are focusing on, he said, was standard procedure in most pre-Trump White Houses in order to reduce the number of questions that go unanswered during televised briefings. Well, what? I don't remember Kaylee McEnany constantly saying, um, and I'll circle back. I do remember Kaylee McEnany being prepared to answer Almost every single question the press asked, except when it was referring directly to minutia and to not one of the topics of the day where she would say, I will get that information for you and you'll have it this afternoon. Ready or not, here's more bullshit cover. This is textbook communications work. The briefing becomes meaningless. If the press secretary has to repeatedly punt questions instead of coming equipped to discuss what journalists are reporting on, he said, in a non-COVID environment, this would happen in casual conversations throughout the day in lower and upper press. One of the few upsides to reporters hovering over your desk all day is that you get a very quick sense of what they're working on. Unreal. First off, Jen Psaki does not have to repeatedly punt questions. Jen Psaki chooses to repeatedly punt on questions because she can't answer them in a way that will look good for the administration. Despite concerns some reporters had with the Biden team's behind-the-scenes queries, 
Psaki's tenure thus far has received positive reviews from many media outlets. The Washington Post told readers to get ready for a, quote, reality grounded press briefings. Again, terribly written. Which Forbes has already described as, quote, must see TV. The New York Times noted that she had extended a, quote, olive branch to reporters during her first briefing, which Vox described as, quote, a breath of fresh air. And that's the end of the article. That right there is the perfect example of something that shouldn't have gotten into the central narrative accidentally getting too close to reaching the central narrative. So they run an interference story in advance of that happening. The entire point of this article is to reframe the ridiculous thing that Jen Psaki and her friends are doing as something that not only benefits the press, but it benefits the government and the people. So really, this is just a win-win-win for everyone. And it would be crazy for anyone to get upset at this. That's the takeaway right here. An olive branch, a breath of fresh air, reality grounded, must-see TV. I mean, if you put those little quotes on a movie poster with Jen Psaki on there, making her little hand gestures... That would look like Peter Travers from Rolling Stone reviewed it. Five stars. Up. Another press briefing. Five stars. Another one. Five stars. Now I sound like DJ Khaled. Another one. Five stars. What we have witnessed so far from the Biden administration and from his press team is the polar opposite of transparency. This administration is completely opaque. And that seems to be the chosen position for this administration in general and for the state media that serves it. The people are left to know nothing. When are Joe Biden's $2,000 checks coming? Who knows? Hey, why do we need $2 trillion more trillion for this COVID recovery when we've already spent the trillions and we know that the society would simply recover If we just allowed businesses to open. How about that? Where's the answer to that question? I'll even provide the question to you in advance. Hey, Jen Psaki, just get back to me by the end of the week on that. Can you do that? Can you answer that question for me? That would be fantastic. I'll never ask you another question. Zero transparency. Zero honesty. Zero legitimacy. And a total unwillingness to even consider answering any question that strikes at any of those weaknesses. And that is what you get for installing a half-dead, demented, degenerate, fake proxy president in the White House. That is what you get when your fake president is compromised by not only 
our greatest world adversary, but the world's greatest adversary in the Chinese Communist Party, who currently right now has two million Muslim Uyghurs in concentration camps. Is that a problem for Joe Biden? Apparently not. They've been awfully quiet about it. Mike Pompeo called it a crime against humanity, and it certainly is. Is Joe Biden allowed to do that? I don't think so. And I will leave you with this. Andrew Cuomo and I now agree on something for the first time. And no, it's not the wisdom of killing people's grandparents as he did. I would never agree with that. But I do agree with this. On Friday, he said, when I say experts in air quotes, it sounds like I'm saying I don't really trust the experts because I don't because I don't. Well, hey, Andrew, that's a great call. I don't trust the goddamn experts either because they're actually not experts. They're just people commies call experts. If they were actually experts, they wouldn't have been wrong the entire time. They wouldn't have been lying to us the entire time. And we wouldn't be in this position. It's listening to people like Andrew Cuomo's buddy, Anthony Fauci, that got us in this place. It's listening to the experts like the epidemiologists who made their really, truly, horrifically bad projections on what the disease would actually do. Their little models about the total downfall of society, the, the total death of everyone. That was the problem. Listening to those experts was, in fact, the problem. And Andrew Cuomo did that for this entire time. But now he's saying he doesn't like it because his vaccine rollout is going poorly and he needs someone to blame. So I do agree with his sentence. I don't agree with anything else in the context of that sentence. New York health officials are now leaving. Nine are gone. But he still has good old Dr. Zucker. That's his little sidekick at his press conferences. But now it's okay. Now it's okay to question the experts. When Trump says that hydroxychloroquine works, he's lying. And we know that because we have to trust the experts and the experts say that he's lying. But when Andrew Cuomo doesn't trust the experts because he needs a scapegoat for his numerous failures, well, that's just Andrew being Andrew. And commie's gonna commie. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. 
Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm your moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. 
It's hell!